I'm Meredith J. Flanagan. Up next on Remarkable Voices, we'll hear from Rosalie Mass Taylor, advocate for the disabled. When Rosalie's four-year-old son, Hunter, was attacked by their police dog, his leg was amputated below the knee. Rosalie became passionate about advocacy and inclusivity, leading her to write a children's book to offer representation for marginalized voices, such as the limb loss community. In this, she aims to bring more diversity to children's literature. Stay with us. You are listening to Remarkable Voices, conversations on culture, creativity, and big ideas with your host, Meredith J. Flanagan. Tonight, we welcome Rosalie Mass-Taylor. In 2015, Rosalie's son, Hunter, was attacked by their police dog, which resulted in a below-knee leg amputation. This tragedy led to advocacy within the amputee and disabled community. Whether it's in person, at events across the country, or social media, she consistently connects with other families and amputees. Eric Mayer, the first blind man to summit Mount Everest, featured Rosalie on his blog for living a no-barriers life. She was awarded Woman of the Year by her local assemblyman in Southern California. Rosalie's passion for advocacy has led her to write a memoir and picture book in hopes of bringing representation for marginalized voices. She strongly desires to see more diversity in children's literature. She currently lives in Central Texas, where she raises three young boys with Michael, her high school sweetheart and husband of 14 years. Rosalie, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so honored and to listen to that intro was just (laughs) so great. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Of course. So let's just start at the beginning. 2015, your son, Hunter, I can't even imagine what you and your family went through. Yeah. um, It's just overnight, we were thrown into this whole new world that we didn't know about. We knew nothing about. And we just, we knew we had to embrace it because that's what we wanted for our son. Um, still there was a lot of healing that needed to take place. It was just a lot of trauma and uh, it was, it was rough. It was really, really rough at first, but yeah, overnight our lives changed in an instant pretty much. And you have two younger sons. Is Hunter the oldest? Yeah. Hunter is the oldest of the three boys and our middle is seven and our youngest is three. So we didn't have the youngest at the time because Hunter was only four years old when it happened. Oh my God. A four-year-old. I mean, that just must've been devastating. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it was the year he was going to kindergarten. Um, the year that you cherish, I feel like almost the most, because you're like, this is the last year I have him at home. And then I'm sending him off into the world of kindergarten. And, you know, it was all day kindergarten. And uh, that was really hard because I had to grieve that time of my motherhood because Mm -hmm. instead of picking out new shoes for kindergarten, we were picking out a new leg 
And it was really tough to accept and to just process everything. And how did Hunter react in the beginning? Not well. Um, not well at all. And I, I totally don't blame him. He he just wanted his old life back. And um, he would just cry for his leg. He would ask where it was. He'd ask if we could go oh. to the backyard and get it. Oh um, I mean, he we would just hold each other and cry because he just did not understand where his leg was. And he fought so much to against his prosthesis. We tried to be like, this is your new leg. This is your new life. But he wanted nothing to do with it. And for months and months and months, we struggled. And then about eight months after the accident, um, we had a little bit of a turnaround. And um, that's when he took his first step. And after that, it kind of got a lot better because he realized, okay, I can walk now and I can run. Um, and I just, I just got to accept this new thing in my life. A four-year-old only took eight months to begin the process of acceptance. Mm. That's really fast. Yeah. When, when you think about it, kind of. I mean, to me, it's Yeah. An amputee, though, physically can start walking six weeks after the amputation. Mm. So physically, he could have been up and running. And some kids do. Some kids are like, oh... That's my new leg and that's my chance to walk and run again. Um, but mentally he just wasn't there. And, and even after he accepted it, there was still a lot of hardships. Cause when he turned about seven, I feel like that's when kids start to realize, Oh, wait a second. I'm not in this super innocent stage anymore. And I'm noticing differences more. And when seven hit, we kind of hit another roadblock and he wanted to wear pants every day. And then he got hearing aids cause he has a hearing loss as well. Um, and he wore a hood and pants every day to school, no matter what the temperature was. And we had to kind of regroup again and be like, okay, we're back to wanting to accept this. And so it's been a lot of up and down, but he's 10 now. And yeah, all of that is behind us. I feel like I'm sure we'll hit more roadblocks, but we've come a very long way. Sure. What were some of the differences he noticed? Oh, just that no one else was like him. No one mm. else was missing a leg. Mm -hmm. He probably didn't really know anyone else that had two hearing aids as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, those are some pretty major differences. Sure. Um, and when did the hearing loss happen? That was diagnosed when he was seven. Um, yeah, right around the time he was seven. And wow. we, we don't know what caused it. Um, we actually just found out a few months ago that it's progressing. And um, I kind of had to grieve it all over again. I felt like, mm -hmm. like we literally just found out a few months ago and, um, but I mean, he's doing okay. We've adapted, but we're going to have to keep an eye on that. Is that when you brought in sign language to the family? Yes, it is. Because we thought that the medicine had caused it. And so we're, I, I kind of held on to that. I'm like, okay, if medicine caused it, then that means it's going to stay steady. The damage is done. But then through the years and just with this new prosthetist, not um, prosthetist, audiologist here in Texas, uh, we just noticed, okay, this is progressing and we don't know how bad it's going to get. And I'm like, let's learn sign language, everyone, because we have no clue how bad it will get and where it's going to lead. I'm like, you know what, let's just take this 
this ASL adventure and make the mm. best of it. And how have his younger siblings responded to his challenges? Um, the middle one, I would say has the most issues. I think it's mainly because of the attention Hunter gets. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like he'll, he has mentors who will sometimes send him things in the mail or like Hunter got to meet Mike Trout, which is huge. I mean, what kid gets to meet like a star baseball player? And so things like that, I think is hard for the middle one to see my youngest, it's nothing to him. Like if he's only wearing one shoe, he'll say, I'm like Hunter. And it's like cool to him. So they each handle it differently. But Hunter is always going to have this this little bit of extra tension. And the other two just have to learn how to adapt to that. And as parents, my husband and I have to make sure we're aware of that too. Of course. Well, I think adaptation has been the key word for your mm-hmm. family of, of what I've seen. And it's just been... So incredible what you've been able to do. Uh, What I've noticed, Rosalie, is that you've continued to challenge Hunter, to challenge him, asking him what he likes about his new life. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, what he can see that's that's good about his new life. Yes. Uh, I would say kind of... Not necessarily consistently, but every year we call it his alive day. It's the day that he was attacked by the dog and actually it just passed in February. And every day on that year, we kind of reflect and we ask him, okay, let's look back. Let's look back at all the things and all the people you've met because you've lost your leg. And we look at all the positive because, you know, we don't want that negative and bitterness hanging over our heads. So Mm. we really try hard to look at the good because if you try your best to let the good outweigh the bad. That's, that's kind of the key to happiness, you know? Totally. So we're always encouraging that. That focus. Um, Let's talk about your advocacy. What has this led you towards in the amputee community? Yeah. So honestly, I would say writing led to it and I never imagined it would be what it is today. And, and if it wasn't for writing, I don't think I would have, gotten so much into it because once I read, once I wrote my memoir, I started reading and like, okay, if I want to get published, I need to build a platform. Okay. What's a platform. And it's not just, okay, let's make a social media account and try to be an influencer, which I almost don't like that word influencer, but it was so much more than that because it's a chance for people to have a voice and, you know, we all have that opportunity, but it's what you do with that voice. And And it's how creative you want to get with it too, because everyone's not going to watch everyone, but if you get creative and if you, you put content that you feel like people are going to be touched by and that, you know, it's going to make a difference, then that's the key. And once I started figuring that out and seeing and realizing people are listening, I was like, I just got to go forward with this. And I have just kind of taken this whole platform or the building the bridge, which I love to look at it as because I don't want to be above people. I want people to, you know, let's meet in the middle on this bridge. And I just want to help people know about what I'm teaching and what I'm sharing. And um, that led to wanting to write a picture book and just sharing anything and everything I can within the disability world, because 
every marginalized voice needs loud voices. And I feel so fulfilled when I'm able to use my voice for that purpose. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you're really, really speaking to me right now, Rosalie. <laughs> the picture book. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what can you tell me about the characters you're wanting to represent here? So Hunter will be the main character. Um, and what I want it to be is, yes, Hunter's the main character, but I don't want it to be a book of a child, a parent is going to choose to read this to a child because they want to teach the child how to act with a disabled child, even though children do need to learn that. But I feel like they can learn that just by visually seeing a child that is different from them and seeing, oh, they're in this picture book with all these other kids and it's normal in a sense. And I, I try to make it humorous and fun. Um, but also, you know, of course there's going to be a message in there, but that that's kind of, that's how I want to do it. It's a fiction book. It's not a nonfiction book. It's not about our story. Mm -hmm. It's about just Hunter as a kid. And I'm hoping many kids could relate to him as we all feel different. We all feel that sense of, I want to be accepted. I want that sense of belonging. Every child wants that. And that's kind of the direction I'm going with it. And do you believe that there will be a time when there is more inclusivity for the amputee community? I hope. That's what I hope for. And that's that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I, I feel that way about the disabled community as a whole, uh, not just the, the limb loss community. Um, of course, that's, that's very important too. And that is the, the lane we're in, but I, I feel that for disabilities as a whole, especially cause he has, you know, two, he has the hearing aids and he has the limb loss. And, um, so I'm kind of coming from different angles there. Sure. Absolutely. How did you get in touch with the first blind man to summit Mount Everest? So he started an organization called No Barriers USA. He co-founded it. Um, And someone also told me about it. So once you go, so we went to our first camp, it's called Camp No Limits. And that one is specifically for limb loss and limb difference, um, just a few months after Hunter's accident. And once you start meeting people within this community, you just start meeting more and hearing about more. And that's the greatest thing about this community is that your life just keeps expanding more and more and more. And you just take on this whole world. And they told me about No Barriers. And we went to our first one and it was in Manhattan, which is one of my all time favorite places on this planet. And it was, that's where I felt like I started to come alive. Cause it was only a few years after his accident. I still felt like, you know, we were healing and recovering. Um, Hunter actually just had another surgery because he needed, um, a revision on his bone. And so we were coming off another surgery, you know, which isn't always fun for a kid. And we go to this event and it's for all different abilities. And I just saw all these people and I saw Eric and there were all these keynote speakers. And it was like, my life had just lit up because it was all these people taught me, like, you can do anything. And not only can you do anything, but you can do it and be happy and happier than what you were before. And, and there was one guy there who was a quadriplegic from a race car accident, 
But even though he was a quadriplegic, he still wanted to figure out a way that he could still race a car, which Mm -hmm. seems impossible, right? But he didn't take that as, oh, it's going to be impossible for me. I'm going to figure out a way to do it. And they built a car just for him and he's able to control it through his mouth. And he was able to ride in a car super fast again. I don't know if he's necessarily racing. I don't know this tiny details, but I was like, whoa, you know, nothing should be in our way of wanting to do what we want to do. And that was just absolutely incredible. So after that, I was like, I got to write Eric Weinmayer and I just got to tell him how much that event meant to me and just being there. And so when I wrote him that, um, he, I think, you know, learned more about our story and was wanted to say, we wanted to feature you for living a no barriers life. And that was actually one of the first things that happened where we got publicity after the accident that wasn't about the accident. You know what I mean? It was Mm -hmm. about our life after special meant so much more. Yeah. Yeah. What an incredible connection. Yeah. 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 And I saw in one of your videos that Eric's, once he finished his summit on Mount Everest, that his team told him, don't let this be the only great thing you ever do. Like, what? (laughs) I know. (laughs) Oh, it just climbed Mount Everest (laughs) with no sight, no big deal. Right, right. And so next he did the Grand Canyon. He did. He did. And, um, yeah, that was incredible. And he, I think he even said in his documentary that he was so, he had so much more fear, like doing that. Like it was just so different from climbing Mount Everest. Like it, it was just really interesting, but then he, and he still did it. And yeah, he's just such, such an amazing example of just bravery and tenacity and just going for what you want to go for. And so are you. Oh, thank you. And so are you. I feel so much love and um, empowerment for you. I I am bowled over um, by what you do. Um, It's difficult to express in language. Mm -hmm. Thank you. What is the plan for the book? What is the plan for the memoir and the children's books? Oh, that's a little bit of a loaded question. Um, you know, for my memoir, I, I, so the writers will get this term, you know, some writers go out there and they say, you know, I want to land one of the big five, which means they want to go with a big publisher, get their name out there. And that's, you know, make a career of it. When I wrote my memoir, it was more of a labor of love. I wanted Hunter to know our story from, from his mom. I didn't want him to Google himself and to read it from some stranger, some reporter who didn't care anything about him. They cared about writing a story. And that was it. I wanted him to know the details of our faith and of our healing and of our recovery. And that's why I wrote it. And I knew that um, there was a chance of it getting published. And so I moved forward with that. And um, then I took a little bit of a break because the holidays hit. And any writer knows that, you know, that's kind of a downtime to seek agents or publishers. So then the new year kind of came around and um, I had this picture book idea 
And also I started researching picture books for Angel City Sports because I'm going to start um, a book club for them and kind of uh, a literacy program to try and create the largest database that I can of all books that entail physical disabilities. Um, so once I started doing my research with that and realizing there was a hole in the publishing world for those kind of books is when I started to move forward with the picture book. And once I started doing that, I thought, you know, I want to go big with this one because there, I feel so much of a need for this. Mm-hmm. And, and I almost felt a little selfish. Like I want, I want children and people to see my kid, but it's more than that. I want them to see all the kids who are like Hunter, not just mine, because they need to see children who are differently abled and have those disabilities. Because when you see them on in the store or at the park, and if that's the first time you've seen them, something, sometimes things can happen. (laughs) They're scared or, you know, they say things or they don't know how to act or just a multitude of things. Um, And so with my picture book, I want, I kind of want to go big or go home and I don't want to go home because I want that book on shelves on as many shelves as I can get it. And that doesn't mean that I want it. I want any sort of fame whatsoever. I just want to get the word out there as much as I can. And I want to push as much as I can just to see what can happen. And something like nothing might happen. This might be a pipe dream. I totally get that. But I will never know unless I try. And so right now I'm just trying, trying everything I can to make this happen. And um, my memoir will just kind of, I know something will happen with it, but right now I'm focusing on the picture book and I'm hoping that the picture book might be a little bit of a launching pad for the memoir. So I hope that answers your question in a very long way. (laughs) So Angel City Sports, this is from your hometown. From um, Los Angeles. Mm Mm-hmm. And this, I'm, I'm confused as to how this relates to the database. So basically, Angel City Sports, um, we want to bring awareness through literature. Mm-hmm. So Angel City Sports, they have like, I mean, they do acting classes, they do cheerleading. So they are focused on sports, but they're, they're also branching out just to have more of an outreach program. So Got I'm it. coming in to... <clears throat> to include literature within that outreach. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. okay. So, so then you're creating this database of books with physical disabilities. Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. Incredible. Yeah. And, and the way to tie that into like, we'll have a book club, like with a Paralympian who's written, written a book. Mm-hmm. So it all kind of ties in together. Mm. Yeah. That, that is so cool. Wow. Mm. Oh my God. I, I can't, I can't wait to see what happens. Oh, thank you. Me too. I got, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I think you're just going about it absolutely the right way. Um, and where is your husband in all of this? Oh, it's funny. Um, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> He's very supportive. Um, he definitely lets me take the lead and it's, I am, in case you haven't noticed, like very much an extrovert and he is the opposite. And so he supports and he has done two podcasts with me. Um, But 
I think he'll always be, you know, definitely my right hand man to support and to love this journey for me and with me. And he knows how strongly I feel about it and also the benefits that can come from it. But um, the social media part, I don't think he gets to, but I try and explain things to him (laughs) as much as I can. But yeah, so he's just, he is my support and my, my cheerleader. So that's where he's at. Absolutely. And what would you tell people um, struggling to understand this community? I would tell them um, that's a good question. If they're struggling to understand, I think they just need to try and do what they can to put forth an effort to try and understand, whether it's through literature or learning about the capability of those with disabilities. Um, because it's not just going to happen on its own. And like, I had a friend today, perfect example. Um, she was like, Hey, are you going to get annual passes to, you know, cause summer's coming to this water park. And I was like, Oh man, like water parks and amputees don't mix that well. (laughs) It's, Mm. you know, they can't wear their leg really. They can't get it wet. And then water parks don't really let amputees wear their prosthetics. You know, it's just a whole bunch of things. And she was like, Oh my gosh, I am so sorry. She felt so bad. I'm like, oh, it's totally fine. Like I was just giving you the answer. And so I think it's just taking the time to learn and accept. And um, I don't want to say be sensitive because we don't need people to pity or be like, oh, we got to walk on eggshells. Yeah. And Rosalie, how can people reach you? So my Instagram, I would say is my best way. I am on Facebook as well, just under my name. On Instagram, um, we are Mass Taylor Party of Five. And it's kind of a family affair. That's what I'm trying to make it. It does center on Hunter. Um, but I've gotten his brothers involved. And even Michael was in one of the last videos where we were doing some sign language. So that's where we are. And you can find a whole a whole bunch of videos you can watch Hunter do things and we try and make light of it. We try and be funny. Hopefully people laugh with us, not at us. <laughs> so uh, They're incredibly touching, very inspired. I was moved. Oh, Believe thank you. Me. Yeah. I mean, uh, woo. Uh, <laughs> I was in it. Um, Rosalie, thank you so much for joining us today. I, I truly appreciate it. Your family's journey is deeply touching. Thank you. Thank you so much. Special thanks to our editor, Patrick Flanagan. We are produced in Austin, Texas. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Remarkable Voices. If you'd like to support us with a small monthly contribution so we can keep sharing remarkable stories, recommend a guest or you'd like to be a guest, you can email us at yourremarkable at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at remarkable voices underscore podcast. We'll see you again.